My name's Elliot. We're starting a new uh, series today called Hashtag. And what we're going to do in this series, we're going to explore a few common hashtags that you might have used yourself or you might post on social media. And we're going to ex examine kind of what is, what's the truth behind that idea that's presented. And the reality is, is uh, much of the truth that we find in God's Word, it's more complex than you can explain in the limitations of a social media post or summarize with a hashtag. Now, if you've been online or even if you are an American and aware of what's going on in our society, you are familiar with hashtags to some extent. They're a useful tool to help spread ideas really quickly. They can spread ideas around the world just in a matter of moments because what they do is they were created to kind of help categorize the insane amount of social media posts being put out on a regular basis. And so what people can do is they can take that kind of that hash character or the number sign or the pound symbol and they can put that in front of a word or a phrase that they think summarizes their post. And it's completely customizable. You can come up with whatever you want to and you send your post out there and other people see it and they see your hashtags, which are kind of your your summary statement. So if you're feeling good that day, maybe your hashtags have to do with that. If this is your opinion about something or you're responding to something you saw online, you'll come up with some different hashtags that kind of summarize that idea or capture it. And a good social media navigator, which I will admit I am not a good social media navigator, a good social media navigator can come up with funny and humorous and memorable and relatable hashtags, and other people see those and they relate to the stories, and so then they start using them, and then you can start to track these ideas as they spread all over the world. And when it comes to faith and being a Christian and just this whole idea of spirituality, there are a lot of kind of spiritual-sounding hashtags out there. I mean, there's all different kinds of mix because people are posting about everything. They're posting about philosophies on how to live, ideas about who God is, what the Bible is, who wrote the Bible, what does it mean to live by faith, all these different things. There's all these hashtags that people have come up with that kind of summarize these different ideas that you'll see floating around out there. And some of them are really good and helpful. I mean, some of these hashtags that people use, and you might see, they, it's a really good summary statement that captures an idea from the Bible that could really help us. And some of the ones that you'll see floating around out there, they're kind of a mix of it's got a little bit of truth in it, but then at the same time, that might not be completely accurate, and you'd really need to do some more digging to understand what it means. And then some of the hashtags people present, they're just not helpful at all. I mean, some of them are just flat out wrong. And if you took that as a tagline for your life, and you started living that way, that would bring a lot of harm into your life and maybe even the lives of the people around you. So for us, we really need to be careful that we don't develop an inadequate understanding of what God has said on some very important topics. So what we've kind of got to do on a regular basis is instead of just kind of taking these ideas that we're presented with that are limited to so many words on a social media platform or so many seconds in a video and categorized in these, with these hashtags that summarize these ideas, instead of just kind of taking this and absorbing it, we've got to continuously go back to God's word and say, okay, well, what's the truth behind that? What does God actually say? Is this just something that's popular and it's trending and lots of people like it? Or does this really line up with what God said in his word? So in, in this series, we're going to look at some of these and go through that. So today, we're going to start with a very popular hashtag, and we're going to look at the hashtag blessed. And we're going to see what in the world does that mean? Now, if you, if you go online, you'll see this hashtag is used all the time. On Instagram alone, there's around 95 million posts with this hashtag on it. And because hashtags are customizable, that means you could misspell the word blessed. 
So if you did a search on the number of times people misspelled the word bless, you realize it goes up a few more million. And then if you add emojis to it and all the different emojis, you could do the hearts, you could do different colored hearts, you could do different you know, types of praying hands, you could add a halo to the, emo to the hashtag. You realize there are millions and millions and millions of posts out there where people said, in this situation or this picture or this statement summarizes what it means to be blessed. And then you see all these pictures and videos and ideas, and you realize, wow, there's a lot of different ideas about what it means to be blessed. So for us, what does it really mean to be blessed? How do you know if you're blessed? What do you look at to determine if you're blessed in the different situation you're in or if your life is blessed or whatever? I think one of the most common things we do is we look at, we look at circumstances, and if the circumstances are up and they're in our favor, then we come to the conclusion, well, then we must be blessed. So if you're healthy, well, you must be blessed. If you just got your dream job, you could probably post about it with the hashtag blessed. If you just bought a house, oh, you must be blessed. But the challenge with that is we all know that the circumstances in life are kind of like riding a roller coaster, and we're all coming to the conclusion that we have a lot less control than we think we do. So at one moment, it might be going up and everything might be looking good, but then in the next moment, it might start to shift and turn and drop and head in a direction that we really don't want to. So what if illness strikes? Are you still blessed? What if you lose that dream job? Are you still blessed? We, we all experienced that this weekend with the weather. I mean, the majority of the year, right, we're, we're beach people. We live near the beach. We have this Mediterranean climate. It's highs in the 70s, lows in the low 60s, maybe the high 50s. Most of the year, we're like, oh, we are so blessed to live by the beach. Then there's those few days where you don't have air conditioning, and it's 100 degrees outside, and you start to rethink some things. <laughs> so do you just look at the circumstances? And if the circumstances dip, then probably what we do is we turn and we look at comparison, and we look at other people around us. And the reality is, is at one moment, you can probably look in one direction, and you can find somebody who you don't think their life is as good as yours. And if you're looking at them, then maybe you come to the conclusion, well, I must be blessed. But at the mo other second, you could maybe just look across the street and see people who maybe their life's better than yours, in your opinion. So now are you not blessed? Kind of depends on what direction you're looking in. So then if we're kind of not figuring out by looking outside and looking at circumstances in comparison, well, then maybe we look inside. Maybe we look at our feelings. How am I feeling about a situation? Am I happy? If I'm happy and I'm feeling good about a situation or something's going on, oh, I must be blessed. I'm, I'm happy about life. But while there's kind of nothing, I'm not saying it's bad to be happy. It can be a really good thing to be happy and feel good about things. Isn't there more to life than just being happy? I mean, is there more to life than just kind of constantly living in this blissed out state? And when we all know, especially us as parents, we all know Disneyland is only fun for so long before it becomes a nightmare. So surely in life, there's got to be more than just being happy. So again, what does it mean to be blessed? What do you look at to determine if you are blessed? Well, thankfully, for us as Christians, the Bible has given us some really helpful insight on what it means to be blessed. And what the Bible presents us with is when we look at our lives from God's perspective, we see what it means to be blessed. That's really the foundation for determining if you're blessed is looking at your life from God's perspective. So let's look from God's perspective and let's see what he says. This is what it says. Ephesians chapter 1, starting in verse 3. We're kind of going to make our way through this chapter, the first part of this chapter this morning. This is what it says in verse 3. It says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, 
who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Now, this is written to a group of Christians. That's why it says that the blessings are in Christ. The idea is this is written to individuals who their identity is found in who Jesus is and what he's done for them. The key mark on their life, the kind of the defining thing that determines what they do and why they do it, their identity is found in Christ. That's why this says in Christ. It's written to a group of Christians. And the word blessed or blessing is brought up two times. And one of the times it says we've been blessed in the heavenly realms. Now, what in the world does it mean to be blessed in the heavenly realms? Well, it's actually referring to a specific location, somewhere where it's saying that, okay, from God's perspective, this is what God sees. This is a real place. So what it's saying is if you could see your life from the heavenly realm, when he looks at your life, he sees your your life from the heavenly realm. If you could see your life from the heavenly realm, you would see all the different ways that he's blessed you. There's some technology that's kind of making its way into daily use, and it's pretty cool. It's got some pretty cool applications. It's called augmented reality. And with augmented reality, what they do is you could use your phone, or you could use, you know, they've got some glasses, some of the different companies, and it captures the environment that you're in. So it, it, it videos or captures what you can see, your physical environment, and then it overlays that with a computer-generated image. So for all of you who know what Pokemon Go is, Pokemon Go has been using this to make the game more interesting. And by the way, I don't think enough people admit that they play the game. I know more people play the game than are willing to admit it. It's okay to play the game, okay? But it's a pretty cool game, and the augmented reality actually makes it more interesting because it captures your physical environment, and then it overlays that with the characters in the game. Another company that's been using this is Amazon. Now, this one's a little more dangerous because this could really affect your budget if you're not careful. But what Amazon's been doing with augmented reality is they'll kind of capture the images of your, maybe your living space or somewhere where you're at, and they'll size it for you. They'll bring it to scale. And then you can select products on their website, and you can see what it would look like in your home. So you don't have to, you know, go to the store and buy it or or run the risk of getting it wrong. You know, they just make it easier for you, so you can just keep buying more and more stuff. But there's some pretty cool applications of this augmented reality. It takes what we can see, and it adds something that we can't see. It helps us see something that we wouldn't be able to see and kind of see, okay, well, this is what it looks like, or this is what's going on. Now, for us, we only have the ability to see the earthly realm, kind of the physical realm. When we, when we look at we just see the earthly realm. But there's a whole other realm at play. It's the heavenly realm, or it's the spiritual realm. And while we can only see one, God sees both realms at the same time. So from his perspective, they're overlaying one another. So when he looks at our lives, he doesn't ignore the physical. He doesn't ignore the earthly and ignore our circumstances or what we're going through or what we're experiencing or how we're feeling. He just sees it overlaid. He sees both together at the same time. He's looking at us, and he sees the heavenly realm, and he sees the earthly realm. The challenge for us is when you become a Christian, you don't get a a package in the mail that's got some special glasses in it that you can just put on and suddenly you can see your life from the heavenly realm. There's no app on your phone that you could download and then when you're in doubt, you just hold it up and you kind of scan the room and you see, oh, from the heavenly realm, this is what's going on in the situation. There's no surgery that you get that allows you to see this. And that means for us as Christians, what we've got to do is we've got to choose to trust what God has to say on the topic. So in the Bible, when God says, from the heavenly realm, this is what's going on, a Christian who can only see one of these two realms, 
has to choose to, okay, I, even though I can only see one, I'm going to trust the God who sees both. And if he says, this is what's going on in the heavenly realm, and this is how life works, and this is what I need to be aware of, and this is reality, then that's really what it means to live by faith, is what you're saying is you're saying, okay, I can't fully see it, but I know that God can. From his perspective, they're overlaid, and so I'm going to choose to trust in him and take what he says on the topic and live that way. So in this verse, Ephesians 1 says heavenly realms. What is it saying is if you could see your life from God's perspective, if you could somehow kind of put on those kind of heavenly realm glasses and suddenly see it, this is what you would see. And then thankfully for us, the next few verses give us a list of when God looks at our lives, what does he see? What does it mean to really be blessed? What's this list? So we're going we're gonna to walk through this list. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just give you a little heads up. As we walk through this, there's a few ideas and words that I'm going to kind of expand and we're going to kind of explore a little bit together. And then after we kind of walk through it, then we're going to take a moment and we're going to kind of wrap it all together and see big picture. So this is what's going on. This is really what this is saying. So let's start. The very next verse in Ephesians 1, verse 4, it says this. It says, For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. God chose us. As Christians, this is something that God's done. When did he do this? It says before the foundation of the world. The idea that this is presenting is as a Christian, God has had you on his mind from the very beginning. That's an amazing thought. And it says that we were chosen in Christ to be holy and blameless. The idea is that God decided from the very beginning that he was going to engage in a process that would result in you standing before him whole and complete. And Jesus is the one who is going to go about doing that work. That's what this is presenting. God, he cares about you so much. He's been thinking about you for a very long time, and he's come up with a plan. I mean, we all know that right now, we, you just have to turn on the news to realize that this world is fractured and broken. And if you're honest with yourself, you see that the same things are in yourself as well. And what God's plan is, is he's, his plan is to put us together, to make us whole and complete and make us the way that we were always intended to be. So he's engaged in that process. He's had that in mind for you. The next verse, verses 5 and 6, says this. It says, In love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ, in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. Predestined. What in the world does it mean to be predestined? Well, the idea is, is there's a specific destination in mind. And so what's happened is the, the map has been marked out. A course has been planned to come to that specific destination. My family and I, were going to be traveling to Santa Fe, New Mexico later this month to meet up with some of my siblings. And we know the destination. We know where we're headed. We have an address. And so what my wife and I'll do is we'll get the map out and we'll figure out, okay, this is what it's going to take to get us to that specific destination. So the idea that this is presenting is what God has done for us is he has determined, okay, this is what's going to have to happen to bring them to a specific destination. And the destination that he brings us to is revealed by what it says next. It says, for adoption is sonship. See, adoption is, is the idea that he has, he's done what it takes. He's figured out what's going to have to happen in order for us to become members of his family, for us to become his children. See, in my neighborhood right now, there are some kids that like to come over to our house. And, you know, I've got two little kids, and they'll play with our kids in the front yard. And maybe they'll hang out for a while, and they'll have a snack. But at the end of the day, they're somebody else's children. They have another home. They're somewhere else where they belong. So they're just kind of hanging out at my house. But when somebody is adopted into a family, they're not just hanging out. That's where they belong. That's their home. 
They're given all the rights and the privileges of being a child. That's what this is saying. It's saying that God has marked out the path, figuring out this is what's going to have to happen so that I'll bring them to the specific destination where I will, where I will welcome them into my family and I will give them all the rights and all the privileges of being my child. They'll belong. This will be their home. They're not just hanging out here, but this will be, this will be their family. That's what he's presenting here. He's marked out the course to bring us to that point. He's figured out what it's going to take. The next verse, verse 7, it says this. It says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace, which he lavished on us. The idea of redemption is to buy back. And something that this verse in particular is presenting is that one of the consequences of sin is that you become a slave to sin. And in being a slave to sin, your life is now actually headed in a very different direction than it was intended to go. And there's a destination that awaits you. And the idea is, is that once you start to sin and you become a slave, what happens is that new destination is eternally separated from God. It's an idea that the Bible captures in the word hell, which is one of the most unpopular ideas that we could talk about in church. But it's saying that, you know, apart from God's family, that's the direction that you're headed in. But what has God done? He's offered redemption, the forgiveness of sins. I mean, just like in any, in any hero movie, there's always a point in the plot where the hero has to sacrifice to save people from evil. There's always a point in the story where the hero has to pay a great personal price so that others could live. And what this is pointing out is this isn't some crazy hero movie. This is our lives. And so what God has done through Jesus is he's figured out, okay, that's the course that they're on but I'm going to bring them to this destination. So I'm going to pay the, the price that has to be paid. I'm going to, I'm going to provide the sacrifice that has to be given so that they can, be, they can be brought into my family and they can receive forgiveness of sins. So that the consequences for the decisions and the sin that they've done can be wiped away and they can experience something brand new. That's what this is explaining. That's what God has done for us. That's really kind of as you understand these, these are the foundation of what it means to be blessed. Now, I'll tell you something that people have done through time, and we still do this, is we'll take words like the ones presented in this passage and we'll turn them into content for debate. And so we'll argue about, well, what does it mean and who's included and who's not included? And what we do when we do that is one of the things we do is we start to create division but another thing that we do is we miss the whole point of the passage. The point of the passage in explaining what God sees when he looks at our lives is not so that we can debate it. We need to understand it. But the point is to help us understand how blessed we are because of what he's done. He's had you on his mind from the beginning. He marked out the path. He figured out what's it going to take to bring them to a point where they enter my family. What's the price that has to be paid? I'm willing to pay that price. I will pay that so that they can become my child. This is pointing to how blessed we are because of what God's done. I have a, uh, a really close family friend, and they've adopted several children. And in the early 2000s, they adopted a little girl from Haiti. And when they, uh, a few years after they brought her into their family, her and her dad went back to Haiti to do some mission work. And while they were there, there was an orphanage that she had stayed in that they had adopted her from. And they went to the orphanage, and they were doing some stuff there. And while she was at the orphanage, she learned that she had a half-brother who she previously was unaware of who was staying in that same orphanage. So you can imagine, she goes to her parents and she just pleads with them, hey, we've got to adopt my brother. I didn't even know I had one. We've got to adopt my brother. 
just earlier in that same year, this family had adopted more kids. So they had just gone through the process of the paperwork, paid all the money, they're trying to figure out, I mean, there's, it's an adjustment to bring a kid into a family. They're going through that adjustment, trying to figure it all out, and this little girl, she's just begging them, please, we've got to adopt my brother. So they pray about it, they got some of the facts about it, and they decide, okay, we think that this is something that God wants us to do. So they entered into the process of filling out the paperwork and, you know, bringing up the money so that they could pay the fees. And if you've ever gone through that or know somebody that has, you know that's not a quick process. It can take years sometimes. So they enter into this, and this is in 2009. At the beginning of 2010, a large earthquake hit the capital city of Haiti. Some of you might remember seeing this on the news. The country was completely devastated. It's estimated around 200,000 people died. 3.5 million were impacted or displaced as a result of the earthquake. So this family, they get the news of the earthquake, and so they spent several agonizing days, no word about their son, trying to figure out, we we just want to hear, how's he doing? Is he alive? What's going on? They finally get word. The word is that he's alive. The orphanage collapsed. Not everybody made it out, but he made it out with some minor injuries. So he's alive, but now he's down there, and he's in the middle of this situation. So they're on the phone with the State Department, they're talking to other organizations, they're talking to other parents who are going through the same situation, trying to figure out how do we get our little boy out of this situation. So what they're told is the best chance you have of getting him is going yourself. The best chance you have is having somebody on the ground advocating for him, working through the paperwork, figuring out how do we get him out of this situation. So in a crazy chain of events that could be nothing other than God at work, They are able to gain access to a flight full of medical relief workers that's going into the Dominican Republic, which is the neighboring nation. They fly into that country. They get on a chartered bus, go across the border. They locate him. When they find him, he's four years old. When they find him, they took clothes for a four-year-old, but they don't fit him because he was so small. The only clothes that fit him, they were able to find some clothes for a two-year-old. So they give him the clothes. They start to kind of help him out. They go to the U.S. Embassy. They spend four nights sleeping on the floor of the U.S. Embassy. They've got all the paperwork. They're trying to prove it. They're working through the forms, trying to prove everything. Finally, after four days, they gain custody of their son, and they're able to return to the U.S., get the first flight they can out of there, and head back to America. This is actually the first picture they received from him when they entered into the adoption process. And then this uh, last picture, he's 13. This last picture is actually taken from last year. So where he's at now. What's amazing is if you could see your life from the heavenly realm, if you could see, you know, all we can see is the earthly, but if you could see your life overlaid with what God sees about you, you would see an even greater story of love and rescue. You would understand the permanence of your standing as one of his children in his family. You would see this, and you would see that nothing, no circumstance, no, no feeling, nothing can separate you from what he's done for you. You would understand that he's had you on his mind from the beginning. He has paid the highest price, done everything that needs to be done to come and rescue and save you from the consequences of your own sin. If you could see your life from his perspective, you would see this. As a Christian, that is the foundation of what it means to be blessed. That's what we look to to determine if we're blessed. We look at what he's done. Now, one of the things that I think is really awesome about God is he doesn't doesn't limit who he wants to be included in this. 
God actually wants everybody to experience this. So what that means is if, if you haven't made a decision to accept Jesus' offer, and if you haven't turned to him and experienced the freedom and the life that he gives, what that still means about you is he's had you on his mind from the very beginning. And not only does he had you on his mind, but he's marked out the path. This is what it's going to take to bring them to a point of decision where they get to decide if they want to be a part of my family. And he's paid the price for everyone. It wasn't a limited number of people. No, everybody's included in it. And he's, he's filled out all the paperwork. That means that if you haven't entered into his family, I can tell you, he's actually extending the offer. He gives us the freedom to choose. He gives us the choice to make. But I can tell you, for everybody, he's extending the offer. And he's saying, hey, this is the work that I've done. This is the length that I've gone to because I care about you so much. Now, do you want to receive this? That's true for everybody. It's not just true for Christians. Christians are the ones who have turned and received it. We haven't done anything special. There's nothing special about us. We're just the ones who have said, okay, I, I want to be a part of his family. So now this is true about us. But it could be true about anyone. It's just a question of are they going to accept it. But as a Christian, we have to understand that when it comes to the question of are we blessed, what does it mean to be blessed, we really find the kind of the baseline understanding, the foundation of what it means to be blessed is found in what God has done for us. Another thing that we can look to to see how blessed we are is we can look to how God provides help. There's actually a lot of different ways that God provides help, and it's revealed in the Bible. But when we look at how God helps us, we realize how blessed we are to be recipients of the help that he's given. You know, there's multiple ways that he does this. One is if you, if you read through this passage, I would, I would encourage you to read through this first part of Ephesians 1. What you see is you see the, the plural pronouns used all over the place. You see the us and the we and the you, meaning second person, the second person plural. The idea is, is a group. So that's one of the ways that God's blesses. I mean, right now we're, we're in this room full of a couple hundred people. We're not doing this life alone. We're not in isolation on some island with nobody around us, but one of the ways God blesses us is he gives us other people. Another way that God's blessed us and helped us is he gives us his word. I mean, if he hadn't revealed himself through his word, we would just kind of be out there guessing, okay, well, is, is there a God? I mean, I think there is, but who is he? Is it a he? You know, I, I can't figure any of this stuff out. But thankfully, he's revealed who he is. And we all kind of have this understanding that, you know, something's not right in the world, and maybe something's not even right with me. And through his word, he helps us even more because he helps us see, well, what's going on with us? What's going on with the world? What's the solution to that? How are we supposed to live in light of all this stuff that's going on around us? So there's all different ways that he's helped us. But one of the primary ways that God helps us, something that's presented in the Bible, is he, he does give us other people, and he does give us his word. But God actually goes as far as to come and live inside of us when we decide to follow Jesus. That's something that the Bible presents. That's one of the ways that he offers help. He comes and lives inside of us. This is, this is what's written just a few verses later in the same passage that lists all the ways that God's blessed us. It's what it says in verse 13. It says, When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory says that there's been a deposit made on our lives. A deposit, when you, when you place a deposit, when you pay money up front, you put money down for something, what that communicates is you're really serious. 
you're going to come through. You, you really want that thing. You're invested, and you're so invested that you're willing to pay up front for it. That's what this is saying. It says that God is so serious about us that he's given a deposit guaranteeing something. Now, the deposit that it says that we're given is the Holy Spirit. Now, who in the world is the Holy Spirit? What does this mean to have the Holy Spirit? Well, as you read through the Bible, what you'll see is God is what you would expect. He is far greater and more complex than we are. He's like us in some ways, but then he's unique from us in several ways. And there are some realities about God that the Bible presents that they're, they are way too complex for a hashtag to summarize or a social media post to fully capture what's going on with these realities about God. And one of those is the fact that God, he introduces himself to us as Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And the Bible presents that that's three persons in one God. A, a word we use to, to kind of capture this idea, even though it's not in the Bible, is the word Trinity or triunity. It's the idea of three persons, one God. It's not three separate gods. That would be polytheism. That's not what the Bible teaches. Those are different faith systems. It's not one God with three personalities, and depending on the time of day, he presents himself in a different way to us or what we're going through. It's not that. It's three distinct, unique persons and one God. Now, I'll warn you, you're going to have trouble getting your head fully around this idea. However, while you might struggle trying to figure out, okay, well, how exactly does that work? There are some important realities about us that when we see, okay, because that's who God is, because he's three persons in one God, he can interact with us in specific ways and do stuff in our life. And when you start to understand that and you understand, okay, based on this, this is what God does, that can be really helpful. And so one of the things that happens is because of what Jesus, God the Son, has done, he came and he gave his life to free us from the consequences of sin. Then when we turn to him, when we, the Bible uses the word repent, you turn around and start going another direction, you turn to him and accept his offer of forgiveness. Then what the Bible says is God the Holy Spirit, he is God, comes and lives inside of you. And what the Holy Spirit does is he carries out the plan. He finishes the work that was started. He keeps you moving forward down this path. He is God coming to live inside of you to help you. So all those words we just talked about a minute ago, all those words that kind of describe what God's done, what does it mean to be chosen? What, what does it mean to be predestined? You know, what does it mean to be forgiven, to be adopted, to have redemption? And based on being now a member of God's family and based on being somebody who's redeemed, what does that mean for me? How am I supposed to live? How does a member of God's family live? I mean, based on all those things that have happened to us, now what the Holy Spirit's doing is he's helping us figure out all those things. I mean, if you've ever watched an adoption process and watched a young child be brought into a family, you know that there's a period of adjustment. And sometimes that period of adjustment, that can be painful because there's new habits and new ways of doing things and new approaches and, and all kinds of stuff that has to be changed and adjusted as that family figures out this new dynamic with this new child. And there's stuff the child has to change. And that can, be, that can be a painful process that takes some time. When you become one of God's children, it's not just this automatic, mm, I'm God's child, I've got everything figured out. I'm adopted, I'm perfect, let's do this. No, there's a, it takes some time. There's adjustment that's needed. There's stuff that needs to be changed, stuff that needs to be added, new learning and understanding that needs to be acquired, old approaches to life that at the time felt natural and made sense that now you know, need to be replaced with something else. So what God does is he, he cares about us so much in this process 
that he himself comes and lives within us to help us with this. This last month, my family and I moved to a new apartment, and uh, we have a piano, which, you know, I'm increasingly starting to wonder why we have this piano, especially after going through the moving process. But when we were moving the piano, I had some friends um, help me pick it up, and when, I, when we were moving it, I agitated an old uh, injury that I've had, and I knew it immediately when I did it. I mean, it was one of those things that as soon as I did it, I was like, ah, oh, I know what I've done, and I know how I did it, and so... You know, I went to the doctor afterwards, and you know how it goes. They, you know, they adjust you, and they kind of do some, like, some tissue work, and they say, okay, well, here, stop doing these activities for a while. You need to rest and you know, do this, these stretching or these exercises in its place. You need to focus on this and kind of re-strengthen the region once it heals up and you know, then kind of add these other things back into your routine. And so you, you get this work done. And I've been to the doctor enough times for this particular injury that I've started to think, man, it would be really nice if I just had like a physical therapist slash chiropractor slash massage therapist slash nutritionist follow me around. And he's somebody who just, you know, I'm going to pick something up and they're like, here, just a second, why don't you stand like this when you pick that up? Or somebody who said, hey, let's add this to your diet because, you know, we really need to kind of strengthen your bones or give you a little more energy or something else. Or somebody who said, hey, you know, you've been sitting a lot today, so let's stretch before we do an activity so we don't hurt ourselves. You know, I'm getting older, and so, the, you know, you got to think about these things. I, just, I wish that I had somebody who just was like, hey, let's work this out so that it'll balance out what's going on here so that we'll be, we'll be better. I, really, I wish I had somebody who just constantly all the time was just, hey, Elliot, this is what we need to do to get this thing functioning properly. And I don't know about you, when I go to the doctor, you know, I'll go and he'll give me some insight and he'll give me some stuff to do. But, you know, two or three days later, I'm not doing the stretches anymore and I forgot half of what he said. And so I've just thought, man, it would just be nice to have somebody follow me around. The reality is, is in God coming to live inside of us, he's given us far more than that. He's inside of us on the inside here giving us help. It's not just like, hey, here's this book, read it, figure out who I am. It's, okay, I've given you this book. I've given you a group of other people who are following me, but I'm going to give you even more help than that. I'm going to come inside of you. So that means that in the moment, situational help is available to us through God's presence on the inside. And so different ways that he's going to help us. I mean, one of the ways is he helps us understand how to live. So when you sit down and you spend time reading his word, the Bible, one of the things that you can do is you can say, hey, Holy Spirit, would you help me understand what's going on in this passage? Would you help me see something that would be useful to me in the situations that I'm facing, something that I can put into practice? Ask him for help. He's there on the inside to help. Ask him for help. Another thing that he's going to do is he sometimes he'll either convict you of sin that needs to change or attitudes or habits or patterns that you have that you need to stop doing. And so when he does, take those seriously actually start to make changes based on what he shines light on. I mean, the same thing. If I, had a, if I had this trained healthcare professional following me around and they said, hey, Elliot, if you pick it up that way, you're going to throw your back out. Well, I would be wise to say, okay, well, how should I pick it up? Yeah, it's the same thing with the Holy Spirit. When he says, hey, that's something that needs to stop. You need to end that. Well, then it's wise for us to say, okay, he's convicting me of this. He's shining a light on this. I, I need to make changes in this area. Another thing that he's going to do is the Bible teaches that because we have God on the inside now, there are times where he's going to empower us. I'm sure you've experienced a life where you've kind of come to the end of your ability. You just don't know. I, I in and of myself, don't, don't possess the, the ability or the power to do this. 
So over and over again, what he's going to do is he will empower you. He will give you what you on your own do not have to live based on the truth, to choose to do the right thing, to endure under pressure, to choose to be hopeful and joyful even though it looks like everything around you is full of despair. He's, he's going to help you with these things. He's giving you what you don't have to do what on your own you could not do. He's there to help you. Another way that he helps is there's times in life because we, we, our vision is limited. We only see the earthly realm. We can't see the heavenly realm. There will be times where, where our life, we, we start to encounter doubt or there's fear or there's questions about, well, you know, I, I can't fully see what God's saying. So how in the world do I keep moving in this situation? So one of the things that he's going to do is he gives confidence. He gives confidence to, okay, even though you can only see the earthly Remember, the heavenly, is realm, the heavenly realm is real, and so he'll give us confidence to keep moving based on what God said. All different ways that he's helping us. I mean, that's just, that's just a small list of the ways that God provides us each individual help based on what we're facing because he comes and he lives inside of us. I mean, if you step back and you think about that, and you think about the way that God helps us by the Holy Spirit, God himself coming and taking up permanent residence inside you, he's not going to leave if you offend him but him being there permanently inside you. And when you realize that, he cares about you so much that he helps you in that way, you realize, I'm pretty blessed. I'm blessed because he has come here to help me figure this out, figure out how to function in this world, figure out what does it mean to be his child, figure out how am I supposed to live in light of what he's done for me. I'm blessed because of that. So as I, as I wrap up, I just want to ask you, what do you look at to determine if you're blessed? What do you look at? Do you look at the circumstances of your life? You know, if the circumstances are headed up, then, you know, yeah, you're probably feeling pretty blessed. But, you know, I know probably for some of you in the room, the circumstances are, you know, might not be going that great. Is that what you're looking at? Are you looking at comparison? You're just, you know, looking to the people around you. Do they have it better? Do they have it worse? Are you looking at how you feel? I mean, probably in a room like this, some of you feel pretty good about today. We're all in AC, so we should all feel good about that. But at the same time, there's probably something you, you're not feeling that great right now. So what do you look at to determine if you're blessed? Well, let me point you to something that's solid and something that can't be changed. And that's the reality of what God's done for you. He has brought you into his family. He's had you on his mind from the beginning. He's done the work to figure out what it's going to take for you to be his child. He's saved you. He's forgiven you. He's paid for you. That, that's something that cannot be changed by what we experience in the earthly realm. That's permanent. And he cares about you so much that he, he gives you help from the inside by coming to live inside you. He doesn't just say, hey, figure it out. Come see me when you do. No, he comes to help us through the situations of life based on what we're facing. That's the foundation for what it means to be blessed. So what are you looking at? Is that what you're looking at? Or are you looking at something else? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for all the ways that you bless us. And I thank you specifically for the fact that when we look at our lives from, from what you see, and we look at our lives from the heavenly realm, we see something that's permanent and cannot be taken away, something that's true about us, even though we go through the ups and downs of life. And that's the fact that you've done what it takes to save us and forgive us and bring us into your, your family. So God, I thank you for that. And God, I pray for help. You 
come and live inside of us to help us. I pray one of the ways that you would help us is you would remind us of this and you would turn our attention to this. And instead of looking at just our circumstances or comparison or, you know, gauging life based on how we feel, we would turn and look at something that's solid and something that does not change. And so, God, I pray that based on you living inside of us, that that would be one of the specific ways that you help us. God, I thank you for all the ways that you've blessed us. In Jesus' name, amen.